This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. It may seem shocking, but it's absolutely true, and that is that persecution of Christians worldwide has increased somewhere around 40% in the last couple of years. Now, that is a large, huge increase. The question is why? Why is persecution increasing? And if persecution is increasing like this, should we prepare? Should you and I prepare? I received a call from a Western nation down under. Uh, They speak... Uh, a, a form of of, of uh, British, shall we say. And uh, he told me, Chuck, he said, I got to tell you, you live in the only remaining really free country in the world. And even there, that freedom is waning. Well, he was talking about our United States of America. He said, you live in the only truly free country in the in the world. And he was talking about the way government around the world is coming high-handedly and heavy-handedly upon people, whether it's through the COVID issue, vaccinations, and so on, and seeking to compel them to do things against their will and to uh, take away their freedom. Well, the first thing that goes is uh, freedom and then freedom of religion. And so it's been said in our country, America, that freedom of religion is America's first freedom, not freedom of speech, but freedom of religion, America's first freedom. But could the first freedom be at risk? Indeed it is. In fact, it's increasingly at risk, even in the home of the brave, the land of the free increasingly becoming the home only of the brave. But there are many brave people around the world. In fact, they're showing their bravery and their strength as disciples of Jesus Christ by enduring. As Jesus said two days before his crucifixion to his own disciples, he said, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. He wasn't talking about those who live to the end. He was talking about those who are faithful, who persist no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the persecution, they persist. The Bible says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Maybe I should repeat that. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Sometimes the measure of whether or not we're living godly in Christ Jesus may be the extent to which we're experiencing some kind of persecution or alienation because we are called to be aliens in this present world. But today on Viewpoint, we want to take a look at the lives of people around the world and how they're responding to this increasing persecution. It is quite amazing. And while religious persecution is spreading over many countries, there are some areas where the hostility is particularly intense, uh, such as in areas where ISIS is controlled, or Al-Qaeda, or Kim Jong-un there in North Korea, 
or Hindu nationalists there in India, or Al-Shabaab in Eastern Africa, or Boko Haram in Nigeria, or the militant Fulani herdsmen there also in, uh, I believe it's Nigeria, and then radical Islam all over the world, and even drug cartels in Mexico and in Colombia. And then finally, we dare not leave out communist China, where over the past two years, the CCP has rapidly advanced its persecution against China's underground house movement, unregistered churches, and even registered churches. And China has shuttered for uh, four, at least four, maybe many more large churches, has banned anyone under the age of 18 from going to church, torn down crosses from churches, raided churches, arrested Christians, forced uh, churches to install facial recognition cameras, and to hang the CCP flag with the picture of Xi Jinping right there in their church. What do you make of all this? Well, Ephesians 6 tells us that our war isn't a physical war, that ultimately it's a spiritual war, And behind all the atrocities, there is one known as Satan who's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Is he about to devour you? And if persecution were to come your way, would he be successful? All of that right here today on Viewpoint with our special guest, Todd Nettleton, joining us. He is the voice of the voice of the martyrs. Uh, all the way from Oklahoma, where there is vast persecution, I'm told. Scott, it's good to have you on the program. Thank you so much. It is good to be with you. And is there vast persecution, or have I misspoken there in Oklahoma? <laughs> I think you might have misspoke. The, the, the sun is beating down, but there's not a lot of persecution. All right. So you are resting in peace there in Oklahoma while you're writing books about persecution, the martyrdom, and your latest when faith is forbidden, uh, front lines with persecuted Christians. So good to have you on the program here today. You've been with Voice of the Martyrs for what, 23 years now? 23 years of going, meeting with persecuted Christians, hearing their stories, and then coming back to America and, and telling their stories to inspire and encourage the American church. Well, I'll tell you one thing. As I was uh, going through your book in preparation for uh, the program today, I was uh, very encouraged and inspired. Uh, you know, I've, I've gone through my own minor persecutions uh, over the years, but quite frankly, compared to the what what people that you have written about in your book have gone through and what so many other hundreds of thousands are going through every single year, my little minor persecutions are like a drop in the bucket. And yet, as Americans, we just don't seem to know how to relate to persecution, do we? You know, we really don't. And I think your experience is similar. I think most American Christians would think about a book of stories of persecution, and they would say, well, why would I want to read that? You know, I I have enough trouble in my own life. I don't need to read about other people's trouble. Well, yeah, but Uh, I remember back when I was uh, a teenager and I was presented with a book, a famous book called Fox's Book of Martyrs, and I I read it, and it it was very troubling. But I've remembered it ever since, and it had to, it, it kind of set the stage for me to understand 
what persecution is really like and why I need to be prepared. Well, these stories have a great power, and I'm the same as you. I, I read, in fact, my dad read stories of missionary heroes to my brother and I as we were even eight, nine, ten years old. Some of those stories I still carry with me today. Some of those people are still inspiring me today. So these these stories have that power to stick with us and inspire us and encourage us. And I think, you know, every time you read a story of a persecuted Christian, I think the very natural response is, okay, what would I do in that situation? What would I do if the gun was pointed at me? What mm-hmm. would I do if they asked me, are you a Muslim or a Christian? What would I say? And I think that's a great question because I think most of us, we know what the right answer is. Like, we know what we're supposed to say. Oh, but yeah. What I would we know. say? That's the question. What would we say? Should exactly. we prepare? We'll be right back. This is Viewpoint. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. The voice of the martyrs can be heard. In fact, God hears the voice of the martyrs, and he will, the scripture says, number their tears. He'll hold their tears in his bottle, the Bible says. It's a figurative speech, but God is concerned about those who are suffering for his name, the name of Christ. And indeed, it's not the name of God that people suffer for, it's the name of Christ, because The Bible says that even the devil believes in God and the demons tremble. Unlike so many professing Christians today who don't tremble at the word of God. But the reality is that Jesus is the one, the name that is above every name. And it's at his name that every knee should bow and every tongue ultimately confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And therein lies the problem. Because so many others on our planet want to be Lord whether political lords, religious lords, economic lords, uh, drug lords. There are all different kinds of lords out there, and those various lordships create persecution for Christians who seek only one lord, and his name is Jesus Christ. Our special guest today, Todd Nettleton, uh, with his book, When Faith is Forbidden. He is a veteran representative of The Voice of the Martyrs, Uh, Tell us a little bit about The Voice of the Martyrs. The Voice of the Martyrs is a ministry to persecuted Christians. In fact, our founders, Pastor Richard and Sabina Wormbrand, were both persecuted Christians. Both of them spent time in prison. Pastor Wormbrand, 14 years. Sabina, three years in prison. When they came to the West, uh, they began to tell the stories of their persecution in communist Romania and Christians, people like you and me, we, we hear the stories of, of those pastors and Christians still in prison, and we say, hey, how do we help them? What can we do for them? That's really how the Voice of the Martyrs was founded, was by that 
that question of how can we help persecuted Christians. And so we have been doing that now for more than 50 years. Today we're active in more than 70 countries, helping persecuted Christians, providing Bibles, uh, and equipping the Church to continue to advance the Gospel, even in the face of persecution. Well, you just came back from Romania, didn't you? I did. I was just in Romania. In fact, we were filming some video segments. Uh, this fall, we will have a feature film actually telling the story of the Wormbrands ministry and their early, early Christian activity in Romania. So uh, we're looking forward to that. And I was there filming some video segments to go along with that feature film this fall. Well, I thought you had a voice for radio, a face for radio. You are representing radio for the Voice of the Martyrs, but I didn't know you had a face for television. <laughs> so, some people would debate that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, friends, the book is called When Faith is Forbidden, uh, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians, and I want to make this hardbound book available to you for your inspiration and encouragement. It's a $20 book. My producer tells me I'm supposed to offer it for $12 here on the program, so in obedience, I will do that. So it's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, uh, Todd, just as a little bit of uh, uh, interesting housekeeping here, uh, you and I go back a very, very long way. Uh, In fact, as I recall, you were a student at Pasadena Christian School when I served on the board and was chairman of the board. I I believe that is true, yes, and my mom actually was a teacher at the school during that period of time as well. Isn't that interesting? And of course, uh, my oldest daughter, who is my producer and uh, oversees everything that we're doing through Save America Ministries, was a fellow student with you. And uh, so, indeed, we go back a long way, don't we? A long way. And uh, how many kids do you have now? Uh, two sons. Both of them are grown and married, and uh, we're hoping sometime in the near future we might have some grandbabies. Wow. Okay. Well, interestingly, uh, we've got 10 grandchildren here, but uh, none of my daughters have grandchildren, so... Uh, you're, you you might actually be ahead of us all. But <laughs> um, since you've, you have two children, have they ever been concerned about their dad wandering around the planet uh, in dangerous places? You know, it, I, I, they certainly have prayed for me as I have traveled, but it has been... Uh, such a part of our lives and and such a part of their lives even from very early on that I think for them it's just kind of normal. Oh yeah, dad's dad's leaving again. He's going to, you know, wherever. He's going to Nairobi today or he's going to Tajikistan today or wherever it is. Um so I think uh, for them it's normal. They don't I don't think they think about how different it is from from what maybe their their classmates fathers do for a living. And how about your wife? Uh, she actually has had, she has sent me out over all of these years. If, if you read in the book, the book is dedicated to her right. because she is the one who has sent me out. And uh, we we enjoy. Wait, a, wait a minute. You said she sent you out. Does that mean she told you to get out of here? <laughs> no, she commissioned me to go. That, oh, okay. I, Good. That's, 
the way I see it, and uh, I I try to always be very upfront. This is not my ministry. This is our ministry, and, mm-hmm. and she plays mm-hmm. such an important and vital role in in being willing to be a single mom when I'm gone, in being willing to have uh, those times when she wishes I was home, but I'm not home, and well, so. Uh, I honor her contribution to the work that has happened over the last 23 years. Well, it seems that uh, your your life has been almost like a a military man. In some ways, yes, there are. Now, thankfully, I, I have some family members in the military, and, and my brother-in-law, in fact, is a Navy chaplain, and sometimes he'll go out on the boat and be gone for nine months or mm. even a year. We've never had to deal with that, and, and I certainly am thankful for that. For me, uh, a long trip is maybe 14 days or 15 days, so I'm thankful we haven't had any of those months and months-long separations. How did you happen to put this book together? You know, <laughs> I, I actually started several years ago, and, and I really there were two things that drove me one was you know my children and i want to i want them to have these stories in a in a permanent form that mm-hmm. that they will know hey this is what our dad did this is what this is how he spent his life the second thing was every time i come back from a trip i i will tell the stories of the christians that i met and someone will say to me man i wish i could go with you on a trip and so that was kind of in the back of my mind of of okay how can we how can we write this book in, in the form of a trip, in the form of sort of a travel log mm-hmm. to say, hey, reader, come with me. I want you to go with me on this trip. Let's spend 40 days together. Let's go meet our persecuted brothers and sisters. Let's sit down with them and, and drink a cup of coffee or drink a cup of chai, and let's hear their stories. And, and so that was really the motivating factor behind the book is I want you as the reader, I want you to come with me because I believe these stories have changed me. They have changed the way I see faith and following Christ and sacrifice. And I think if you spend 40 days meeting persecuted Christians, your faith is going to look different on day 41. And so that was sort of the target, the goal that I had in mind as I as I sat down to write. And the hardest part, honestly, was, was just narrowing down the stories to 40 and saying, okay, whoa, that's a really good one. Oh, I don't have room for that one. What am I going to do? And and so that was kind of the biggest challenge was just saying, hey, how are we going to get this down to just 40 days worth of story? Well, I'll tell you, uh, Todd, when I got to page 15, right at the very beginning, and you were heading off on a trip in 1998 to Sudan, a Muslim country uh, not exactly known for its uh, uh, joyful receipt of Christians, uh, you said, you made this statement, why does a trip to Sudan scare me into being the man I should be 360 days a year? Vulnerable in Africa, but when I'm in America, I think I'm indestructible. I take tomorrow for granted, but I shouldn't take tomorrow for granted. I should live each day ready to step off the planet into eternity. I'll tell you, when I saw those statements there, it, it jerked my chain immediately as one who lives in pretty comfortable America and indeed being thrust into an environment, a situation where instantly there you are prone to fear because of the environment you're in, all of a sudden, all of that uh, uh, so-called 
comfortable churchianity goes out the window, doesn't it? It it really does. And it's such a good reminder to know that our days are in God's hands. And, you know, one of the things sometimes people will ask me, well, aren't you aren't you afraid? You're you're going to Sudan, you're going to someplace dangerous, aren't you afraid? And I'm reminded of the fact, and I, and I share this often, when, when the Lord says, my time is up, my time is up, it, it doesn't matter if I'm in Sudan or if I'm sitting on my couch in Oklahoma, uh, my time is going to be up, not, not a moment before the Lord says that's going to happen. And so we can go out in confidence, but we do need to have that understanding that, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in, in five years. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We need to live each day boldly and excitedly serving Christ and, and with the understanding that, hey, if, if this is my last day, am I leaving the mark? Am I leaving the legacy that I want to leave? Absolutely. You know, world leaders, godless world leaders, are now telling us that by 2030, we're going to have a completely new world. It's going to be utopia, the new world order, uh, the great reset is going to take place. But what it sounds like to me is the great persecution is about to take place. You know, I think a lot of Americans are looking at the culture around us and saying, okay, what, what's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen to me? And frankly, I, I think that really makes these stories even more timely, because mm-hmm. if, if we're going to be persecuted, how do we prepare for that? You know, if I'm going to play the, the New England Patriots next Sunday, how do I prepare for that? Well, I, I look at the team that beat them last Sunday. You know, how did they do that? What, what plays did they run? How did they do that? That's really what this is, is sort of spiritual preparation, spiritual scouting. These are people who've already faced persecution, and they've come out victorious. So if we're going to face persecution, and if we want to come out victorious, there's really not much better way to do that other than the Scriptures than studying those who have already been there and have come out the other side with a smile on their face and with a testimony of how faithful God is. Well, when you trust your government for everything, you trust your government for your kids' education, you trust your government to put bread on the table, you trust your government to uh, make you feel better, uh, and all these kinds of things, it, it seems to me that we're actually being set up for defeat of our trust in Christ and uh, to uh, be unprepared for the times of persecution. I think there is some truth to that of just, you know, there's a lot of ways that distract us from Jesus. And I'll I'll never forget a conversation with a Chinese pastor in, in Beijing. He had been in prison for more than 20 years. And, uh, you know, we were talking about the Chinese church and how God uses persecution against the Chinese church. And, and this pastor said to me, he said, you know, God uses persecution against Christians in China. He uses prosperity against, or, or sorry, the devil. The devil uses persecution against Christians in China. He uses prosperity against Christians in America. He uses that to distract you from what's really important, to distract wow. you from following Christ. And I thought, whoa, there, there's there's a truth that, that steps on some toes, including my own. Well, but that, Satan that... is always going to come after us. There's no question about that. In fact, the Bible actually says that adversity turns our hearts toward God, but prosperity turns our hearts away. And uh, so it, it n- kind of numbs us uh, into complacency. Uh, the moment, the, the more I think about this, the more I consider 
the times that we're in, uh, Todd, the more I realize it's time for people to get ready. It's time for professing Christians to take seriously the words of the Scripture. And what Jesus said, that uh, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Why do you think you should be different than your Lord? We would say to that, yes, but I'm an American. (laughs) (laughs) I have a different passport than he did. (laughs) And so in reality, uh, one could actually say that Christians in America are the least prepared to endure to the end. That is a sobering thought, and I don't, I don't think you're saying anything inaccurate. And I think, you know, that's one of the challenges for us as American Christians. We have relied on other things. We've relied on our prosperity. We've relied on the legal protections that we enjoy in this country, which are a great blessing to us. Sure. But we need to be reminded our first loyalty, our first reliance is on God. He is our provider. He is the one who gives us strength. Absolutely. He is is our trust. He is our I am. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, Prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Well, the Republic of Iran is not exactly a friend to grace, friends. On the other hand, the reports that I am receiving are that Christians are coming to the Lord in Iran, notwithstanding the threats of imprisonment like never before. It's unbelievable. Persecution seems to actually be be encouraging people to come to faith in Christ. They're realizing they have to make a choice. They have to make a choice. And in this country, America, we're going to be forced to make a choice very soon. We just don't realize it because we're like the frog in the kettle. And the heat is coming up slowly. But then there comes a moment in time when you're going to realize the heat's being turned up and you either jump then or be cooked alive. And when you're cooked alive, that means you, well, you fail the test of persecution. And that's not a good thing because eternity may be undesirable. Our guest today, Todd Nettleton, with his book, When Faith is Forbidden, and uh, it's a hardbound book, uh, 40 Days uh, on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians. And uh, it's a $20 book, yours for $12, to inspire you for such a time as this. And something you can read with your kids, your grandkids, 
I think that would be a great thing. Our kids need to know. They need to be prepared. This is not something you can just uh, expect to happen by osmosis. They need to be prepared. And it's your responsibility as a parent, as a grandparent, it's my responsibility to assist in doing that. So the book is available as a tool. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. When faith is forbidden, or you can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, back to our special guest, Todd Nettleton. Todd, you've been with the Voice of the Martyrs for uh, 23 years, and you literally are uh, in many respects, the voice of the voice of the martyrs, because you have a ra- regular radio program, don't you? I do. We have Voice of the Martyrs Radio every weekend. We spend a half hour hearing from a persecuted Christian or hearing from someone involved in ministry in hostile and restricted nations. And uh, we're now on over a thousand radio stations. So that that voice is going out. You're the voice heard around the world, then. <laughs> in some ways, yes, but uh, ho- hopefully it's the voice of persecuted Christians that really is heard. All right. Tell us a little bit about uh, more about Voice of the Martyrs. You said that it's been around for over 50 years. Wormbrands were the founders of it. Uh, what do you actually do other than the radio program? <laughs> well, that that is a great question, and I would Well, that's say, why I asked uh, it. <laughs> the, the focus of our work, and really people hear the radio show or they read the magazine and they think about the U.S. side of our ministry, which is telling the stories of persecuted Christians, encouraging the faith of American Christians. Mm-hmm. On the international side, though, that's really where the bulk of, of the focus of our work is. We help persecuted Christians in, in three major ways. The, the first is what we call persecution response. Hey, your house got burned down because you left Islam and became a follower of Jesus. We want to help you have a place to stay. We want to help make sure there's a roof over your head. Your children got kicked out of school because you're a pastor. We want to help make sure those children get an education. So persecution response is really just responding directly to overcome the effects of persecution. The second way that we work around the world is distributing God's Word. One of the one of the ways that persecuted Christians prepare themselves for persecution is studying the Bible, being in God's Word. Well, if they don't have a copy of the Bible, they can't do that. And so each year, the Voice of the Martyrs is distributing literally hundreds of thousands of Bibles into the, the most remote, the most hostile places around the world. So persecution response, then Bibles, then what we call frontline ministry. And, and honestly, I call our frontline workers pre-persecuted Christians. They are doing gospel work in a place where doing gospel work gets you persecuted. It gets you beat up. It gets you thrown in jail. In that case, we are helping to equip and encourage and empower their ministry to spread the gospel in those hostile and persecuted places. And so that's what frontline ministry is for us. And those are kind of the three big umbrellas over our international work around the world. And you have a website? We do. Persecution.com is the main Voice of the Martyrs website. Persecution.com. You can also find our radio show and our podcast at vomradio.net. 
All right. That that'll only cost you fifty dollars for that ad. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you were mentioning about uh, people who are, uh, shall we say, gospel frontliners out there, it brought to my mind a uh, pastor in India that we have been uh, supporting for many many years, and uh, <clears throat> he he and his wife operated an orphanage of 115 kids. Uh, and still do. His wife just died. Uh, his daughter abandoned the ministry, and he's left alone. But interestingly, he has, when we started with him years ago, uh, they had, I think it was four or five house churches. Today, they have 40 house churches. Wow. And he, like an apostle, is facilitating those, but in the process, as he rides his bicycle through the uh, Indian storms and so on, the that engulf that nation, he is attacked frequently by Hindu radicals who have beaten him. They destroyed the hearing of one of his ears. Uh, they just about broke one of his legs, and uh, he's just been beaten over and over again. And then they came in and de- destroyed his his property, the thing that they were using. It's just been amazing. And who would have ever believed that India would be on the front lines of this kind of persecution? Well, it is it is not surprising to me that he would face that kind of difficulty. The the Indian government now, under Prime Minister Modi, mm-hmm. is is heavily motivated by a Hindu nationalist philosophy. Uh, you will hear sometimes them talk even about the soil of India is Hindu soil. If if you are not a Hindu, you don't belong on this Hindu soil of India. You need to either become a Hindu or you need to go find someplace else to live. You don't belong here. That's the message of, of coming from the national government of India right now. And so Christians are facing beatings. They are facing arrest. And those who would share the gospel with Hindus, particularly reaching out and evangelizing Hindus, are especially targeted in the, in the environment right now in India. Well, interestingly, that also reminds me of what's going on in Turkey. Uh, there were the, the uh, seven churches of Asia that the book of Revelation talks about, that's where Paul was born, actually, in uh, uh, Turkey. But the reality is that under Erdogan, he is doing everything he can to establish a Muslim uh, theocracy there, and Christians uh, really are not welcome there anymore. They are not welcome, and it is very sad. Turkey is one of my favorite countries in the world to visit. I've been there several times. Uh, I love the country. I love the people. I love the food. And to see what has happened under Erdogan with with the church being targeted, with the pressure mounting. Uh, you know, we, we all know the story of Andrew Brunson, an American Christian put right. in prison in Turkey. But it is Turkish Christians who have, you know, they don't have that international attention. They don't have uh, the U.N. advocating on their behalf. And they are facing, just like you say, the, the pressure to close down the church to make sure Turkey stays an Islamic nation. All over the world. It is just amazing. It's like a full-court press to uh, shut down 
the press of the gospel of Christ uh, so that a counterfeit gospel of uh, man's salvation and globalism can take over, uh, either that or uh, an Islamic world order. And so we had these tremendous pressures uh, that we're under. You have a chapter, uh, Day 9, titled, Persecution is the Expectation, Not an Accident. Expand on that. Well, I interviewed a pastor in India just, just literally a few hours after he had been released from prison. He was involved in an outreach. It's interesting. Uh, we think of India as a Hindu nation, but he was involved in an outreach in a Muslim community, and mm-hmm. he was actually reaching Muslim children. He was a teacher. He also did some kind of after-school ministries that would give him an, an input into these kids' lives, and uh, the, the parents of these Muslim children started to figure out, wait a minute, this guy's telling our kids about Jesus. Wait a minute, he gave them a copy of the Jesus film. And so they came to this pastor, Pastor Peter Paul, they came to his house, they destroyed most of his house, they beat him, and he ended up locked in jail for a week. And he was actually released on a Saturday night. We met with him on Sunday morning. In fact, <laughs> he didn't have a home to go home to anymore, so he, he we Voice of the Martyrs was able to provide him and his family a place to stay Uh, But he talked about the fact that, listen, persecution is the expectation. This this is not a surprise to me. Uh, This is what (laughs) this promised us would happen. Uh, And so it it was amazing, and and that's one of the themes that comes out in these stories is the expectation. Uh, One of my coworkers was in India just a couple years ago, and he had been set up to meet with some pastors who had faced persecution and so they, they had this group of about 30 pastors, and he stood up and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be here with you. How many of you have been persecuted for the gospel? And and nobody raised their hands. It was like they were all just kind of staring at him. And he was like, he looked at his host and was like, I, I thought these were persecuted pastors. And the host said, well, hey, ask the question a little differently. And so he said, how many of you have been beaten up because of your gospel activity? And like all, almost all the hands went up. And the interesting thing was, yes, they had been beaten, but they didn't really consider that persecution. They just saw that as a normal part of doing ministry. Very interesting. This, This is putting all new perspective on persecution for all of us. We'll be right back after this, friends. This is Viewpoint. Our viewpoint concerning life in Christ is going to determine destiny. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church.
The Apostle Paul made an interesting statement. He said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Did he really mean that? That's a very hard thing for American Christians to grasp. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Well, there's an interesting story in our guest book uh, called When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians. And uh, it's about a fellow by the name of Hussein. That's not his real name, but he lived in Iran. And uh, he said something very interesting that caught my attention. He saw his life as having two choices to continue to live on earth and see God work miraculously on his behalf or go immediately to heaven. He said, which one of those is bad? Well, in other words, if he continued on, he just might be killed for his faith. So which one was the best and which one was the worst? Apparently, he understood what the Apostle Paul was saying. Tell us a little bit more about his story. Well, Hussein had a really remarkable story. As I met him, he came out of a background of of drug addiction. Uh, God miraculously saved him from that. God called him into ministry and and confirmed that call. Uh, But but Hussein ended up in prison in Iran, and uh, he was very frightened. In fact, he said, "I, I was just, I was so scared." Uh, sitting in a cell, he was in a solitary confinement cell, and he was his mind was just racked with questions. What you know? How? What? What am I going to say? What are the people who were arrested with me going to say? Will our stories match up? How am I going to answer this question? And he said, in that solitary cell, he said it was like Jesus came and just sat across from him and spoke to his heart. And he said, Jesus said, "Why are you worried about what you're going to say?" I will tell you what to say. You, you don't have to worry. You don't even have to come up with your own words. I mm. will tell you what to say. Wow. And so it just settled a peace on his heart. And as he went through the legal process, and even in jail, he had some amazing experiences of God's provision, God's protection, uh, God putting him in places of influence. When he went to uh, his, the, the court hearing, he handed his paperwork to the judge, and this judge was an Islamic judge. He had the big, bushy beard, and he said when he walked in the room, he looked angry. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, Our whole country is filled with Islamic judges then. <laughs> they all well, are around here with bushy beards. Yeah, well, I don't know about that, but, but he said when he walked in the room, the judge looked angry, and yet when Hussein's case was called, like the judge's countenance changed, like he became more open and more friendly. And when Hussein handed him his court document, the judge is like, oh, no, th- this is wrong. They filled this out wrong. And so the judge literally took the paperwork from this Christian and filled it out for him the right way. He handed it back to Hussein, and he said, this is where you need to go and file these paperwork. And if you have any trouble over there, here's my cell phone number. You call me, and I'll, I'll set it all straight for you. This is an Islamic judge offering to help out a Christian prisoner. And Hussein looked at this, and it's like, you know, this is mind-blowing how God is orchestrating this. And that's what he meant when he said, you know, if if I live, I'm going to keep doing this ministry, and I'm going to keep seeing God do these amazing, mind-blowing things. Or if I get killed, if I get murdered because of my Christian activities, I'm going to go to heaven. Which one of those is bad? Is it bad to stay here and see the amazing work of God? No, it's not bad. It's awesome. 
Is it bad to go to heaven and be with Jesus? No, that's awesome too. There is no bad choice in this equation. Isn't that exactly what the Apostle Paul was talking about? You talk about a guy by the name of Imam, uh, and he also lived in uh, Iran, and he was talking to people about Jesus, but the interesting thing is you do that, you're going you're gonna to grow attention, and it's likely to get you arrested. Can you tell us a little bit about his story quickly? Iman is another of the stories in this book that, that moves me every single time. Uh, he was, a <laughs> again, a drug addict. He was on his way to death, and God rescued him from that. And he became, he, he told me, as, as he shared his story, the first thing he said, he said, I'm a very competitive person. And I was like, okay. And then as he shared, he said, you know, God has turned that competitiveness in a holy direction. I don't want to be an average follower of Christ. I want to be the best disciple that Jesus has ever had. I don't want to be an average evangelist. I want to tell every single person I ever talk to about Jesus Christ. Sounds like and Paul. It, it does sound like Paul, and that was his attitude. And, and he just couldn't imagine why God would bring someone across his path if they weren't ready to hear the gospel. Because Iman was ready to tell them. He was committed to tell every single person he talked to. And so he had this amazing thing. And one of the stories he told me, he said, I, I went to the, the police, arrested me. They locked me up. They took me to the police station and they sat me down beside these two guys who were literally about to be executed. They were hardened criminals. They were about to be executed. They were on death row. And so Hussein is sitting beside them in handcuffs and he shares the gospel with them. And these two guys pray repent of their sins and commit their hearts to Christ literally on the eve of their death. And he only and had police, 15 minutes to share it with them. And, and he, he only had 15 minutes. And, and the police come back and say, you know, Iman, you, you've been very kind to us. We, we don't think you've actually committed a crime. We're going to let you go. And, and so they take off his handcuffs. And these two guys are weeping. And, and Iman hugs them as they're sitting there. And the police are like, you you were sitting on a bench by them for 15 minutes. Now you're acting like your long-lost relatives. What What is going on here? And Iman was like, you know, don't worry about it. And so he <laughs> left the police station. But every single conversation he has, he thinks, this is a person that Jesus died for. This is a person that God has sent to me to share the gospel with them. I hope as people read that story, I hope that rubs off on some of us. I hope it rubs off on me that I see mm. every conversation as an opportunity to represent Jesus Christ. Well, the interesting thing, Todd, is that uh, when, when he was inappropriately and unrighteously put in jail, uh, he saw that as a redemptive plan, that wherever he went, if he was going to be in jail, then there was a reason God had him in jail, and that was to touch the life of someone or someones uh, for the kingdom of God. So he saw that as kind of a, a normal aspect of following the Lord as a disciple. Uh, he didn't really look at it as persecution, did he? He, he didn't really, and he really, honestly, he didn't think of it as that really something to comment on. I, I mentioned the story in the book when he sent in his monthly ministry report after being in jail for a month. His ministry report was, I shared Christ with 100 people, uh, 24 of them prayed to receive Christ with me and, and accepted Christ. And it wasn't until several weeks later that his ministry leaders who, who received this report 
realized that he had been in jail during that month, and they called him up, and they're like, Iman, you know, why didn't you say in your report that you got arrested and that you were in jail? And Iman's attitude was, well, why does it matter where I was? I, I shared Christ with 100 people, and 24 of them prayed with me to receive Christ. I put all the important stuff in my report. The fact that I was in jail is not important. Why would I need to <laughs> And yet that, that would be attitude. the most important thing that we'd put in there, wouldn't it? <laughs> That would be right at the top. I got arrested. Yeah. Okay. Now, I I want to uh, kind of bring this, tie the string here together a little more tightly for us. We opened the program here. I called it persecution. Should we prepare? And in one sense, we can prepare. On the other hand, Jesus said, don't cogitate about what you're going to say or what you're going to do if and when you get in that situation, because the Holy Spirit will speak to you and through you what you ought to say. So certainly that's not the kind of preparation that we need to be making, cogitating and, you know, what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? What am I going to do? So what kind of preparation do we really need to be making? You know, I think two things come to mind. One is the Scriptures. We need to be people of God's Word. We need to have it in our hearts. We need to have it in our minds. We need to have it in a non-printed form, and I don't mean on your phone. We need to have it in a way that they cannot take it away from us. If we are in prison, we need to be able to take the Bible with us, even if they take it away physically from us. So that that is one thing. And the other thing I think is just relying on God's grace and counting the cost ahead of time. One of the things, you know, study the scriptures, know the scriptures. The other thing is just understand Jesus is worth it. Make that decision ahead of time. No matter what anybody else does, no matter what the line of suffering that I get dragged across is, Jesus is worth it. He died for me. He purchased me with his own blood. He is worth any level of sacrifice that I might be asked to make. As we make that decision ahead of time, then in the moment, in, in the heat of the trial, we don't have to think about that part. That decision's already made. Jesus is worth it. I'm not going to give up. And so that prepares us. The encouragement I would offer, and I love the story that, that Hanalee Gronwald, whose family was murdered in Afghanistan, says she compares the grace of God to go through that time to a boarding pass. She says, you don't get your boarding pass to get on an airplane a year before you fly. You get it when you go to the airport, right Uh before you get on the plane. And she said, God gave me the grace to go through the murder of my family by the Taliban right before it happened. Even as it was happening, God was strengthening me to go through that. So I don't think we have to worry if we feel like, boy, I I don't have the strength. I don't have the grace to go through persecution. If God wants us to get on that plane... He will give us the boarding pass of His grace when the time comes. Well, that gives all new meaning to the Apostle Paul's words, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And uh, indeed, that is the case. Now, there was a fellow by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he wrote a book, a very famous book, called The Cost of Discipleship. And uh, it seems to me, uh, having grown up in the church from coast to coast, my father having been a pastor for 50 years, and uh, myself also having pastored for 35 or more years, and having been involved with Christians in numerous, 10 different denominations at least, uh, one of the things that I know is there is, seems to be very little understanding 
or even willingness to experience hardly any cost of discipleship. It is a. It has not been a part of our American calling to follow Christ. We have uh, experienced the freedom. We've enjoyed the freedoms that that we have had over the last two hundred years. Uh, but it is a price. And you know, we we look at the scriptures. We look at what Jesus said. We look at what Paul wrote. We look at what Peter wrote. We need to prepare ourselves, and we need to understand that that there is a price to be paid. And even though we in America haven't been asked to pay it, uh, that that may be changing. That day may be coming for us, and we need to decide ahead of time that Jesus is worth it. Indeed, I believe it's coming far more quickly than anybody would possibly even imagine, perhaps uh, even within the next few years. Uh, And it happens incrementally. Uh, this is how it happens. Uh, it's happening in our universities, uh, along with anti-Semitism growing, is anti-Christian, uh, as it is with the Jew, also with the Gentile follower of Jesus Christ. And, uh, yeah, persecution is normative, actually, for the true follower of Jesus Christ. As Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Why do you think you should be different than your Lord? So, uh, how old are your sons? Uh, 27 and 25. All right. And uh, since they grew up in this Western culture, uh, then how are they situated to face these times? You know, that's a great question. I I, uh, know it is. That's why I asked it. (laughs) You're a father, and I'm a father, and I'm a grandfather, and these are the questions we should be asking. They are, they are the questions we should be asking. And, you know, uh, I'm thankful for Christian school. Uh, I'm thankful for church and for Sunday school teachers and youth pastors that have invested in my children. I'm thankful for Christian colleges. Uh, but ultimately, the, the thing is, they make the decision. And mm. we try to impress on them. We try to inspire them with, with our own lives. We try to inspire them with the stories of persecuted Christians. Uh, but ultimately, each the choice one of us is theirs. Absolutely. The, Unfortunately, we're right here at the end. Todd Nettleton, our special guest. What a joy it's been, Todd. His book, When Faith is Forbidden, it's a $20 hardbound book, yours for $12 on our website. Very inspiring. Uh, Saveus.org. That's www.saveus.org. Or call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. Become a partner with us, friends. We're preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. Yes, even today. Persecution. Should we be prepared? And how should we prepare? We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.